Um, so I, I was looking on Facebook a couple weeks ago, and I um, saw a thread that was going on, and it's a thread that I really kind of liked because it was a thread that said, um, you know, name, name a movie by a line that doesn't contain the title of the movie. So that kind of sums it up. So um, if I were to say, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings, it's a wonderful life, right. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Rosebud. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, there we go. Um, frankly, my dear, I don't... Gone with the wind, yes, yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she... Yeah, anyone? Casablanca, yes, the White House. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you're going to need a bigger boat. Jaws. <clears throat> you had me at hello. Jerry Maguire. Or show me the money. Right? <clears throat> Inconceivable. Princess Bride. <clears throat> I'll have what she's having. What Harry met Sally. Kids, go ask your parents about that later. <clears throat> um, well, you see, our amps go up to 11. There we go, my kids, yes, my kids and my wife, woohoo. Phone home, E.T. E Those aren't pillows. Yes, trains, planes, and automobiles, or planes, trains, whatever it is. Um, go watch it, just Google it, it's very funny. Um, Pez, Cherry Pez. Stand by me. So it's, it's a, that's a little more, you know, so. Dogs and cats living together, total chaos. Ghostbusters. So got a pond, got a pool. Pond would be good for you. Caddy shit, that's my wife, yes. That brings, that brings a tear to my eye. So I got that going for me, which is nice. <clears throat> so... Um, one of my favorite movies ever, though. Um, I say this line, it came up in the movie, uh, I think five or six different times. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to roll a clip uh, from that movie. Um, but uh, <clears throat> this, this came up a number of different times in the movie, and um, Elwood would say, we're on a mission from God. Blues Brothers, yeah, let's roll that clip. <clears throat> I, I'm going out of order for them. Yeah, hey, I've got it. Remember the theme from Rawhide? The old favorite, Rowdy Yates. What key? A, good country key. Rawhide and A. Streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling raw hard. Rain and wind and weather, hell bent for leather. Wishing my gal was by my side. All the things I'm missing, good fiddles, love and kissing, are waiting at the end of my life. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up.
On a mission from God. I love that concept. And the reason why I love that concept is because we are on a mission from God. The passage we're going to look at this week um, is a passage that uh, <clears throat> Christ sent people out and sent them on a mission. And that mission continues today. So we're going to delve into that scripture. We're going to look at it. And hopefully we will understand more about what we as followers of Christ are called to. We're not just called to follow Christ, but we are called to move forward. We are called always to be moving like the guys in the theme from Rawhide. So let's delve into scripture. We'll pick this apart and we will learn more about our mission. So Luke 10, if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up. If you got your phones, um, fire them up. and follow along. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God, whoa, hello, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So I kind of want to go back and pick out a few things that um, I think we should notice. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to take it a little bit further. So first thing, um, this starts off, uh, Luke starts off by saying, After this, the Lord appointed 72 And we see, if you look back to Luke chapter 9, Jesus first sent out the 12 and gave them instructions very similar to this. These are more expanded, but he sent out the 12 to do very similar uh, things on a very similar mission. So this is now where he is sending 72. So we get the sense that there are more people following Christ that there are more disciples who are devoted to his cause and who are willing to go out and spread the message of Jesus, spread the message that the kingdom has arrived. Great progression. Um, So second thing I want us to see is that Christ first told us that we should pray. If we're going to go out and talk about the kingdom of God and if we're going to go out into the harvest... Christ first says, pray that there will be more people who will come and who will partner with you in that ministry. 
I think that's important for us. If we're talking about advancing the kingdom, that we need to be able not just to go out and really work really hard to advance the kingdom, but we need to constantly be in prayer that God will bring, bring people who understand the mission, who understand that part of following Christ is that we advance the kingdom and we ought to be praying for people to come with us. <clears throat> Third thing I want us to realize is that we're not alone when we go out to advance the kingdom. Jesus, in chapter 9 and in chapter 10 of Luke, um, Luke tells us that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. So no one was going out there alone, but everybody had someone with whom they were partnered as they went to, to advance the kingdom, as they went to, uh, to villages that Christ was coming to, to proclaim the coming of Messiah, to proclaim the fact that the kingdom is at hand. No one went alone. I think that's a really important thing for us to understand, is that as we follow Christ, none of us are supposed to do it individually. We need to partner with people. We need to be in community with others who get it and who understand what we face when we go and we're advancing the kingdom. We need to be in prayer for one another. We need people um, who, who are sold out the same way that we are sold out. Do you get that? And by the way, we never go alone, even if we don't have someone humanly there with us. Um, God is always with us. When we're opening our mouths and we're speaking the truths of the kingdom, when we're sharing something of our faith with somebody else, God is always there with us. <clears throat> that kind of leads um, to the next point. Uh, Christ talks about carry no money bag, carry no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. What Christ is saying is, Everything that you need, I've already given to you. What you need to advance the kingdom, you already have. Don't sweat the details. Go and meet people. Go and infect other people with the news of the kingdom. Go and share the limitless hope that comes from the author of all hope. Go and share grace. Go and be the church. Go and be the love of Christ to somebody who needs to know the love of Christ. Don't get sidetracked. Don't start talking to other people along the way and, and lose sight of what we are called to. So this passage is just kind of pregnant with the whole notion of mission. Um, <clears throat> I love how Christ says, bring God's peace. When you go into somebody's home, say, peace be on this home. And you're coming um, not with words of condemnation to people, not saying, you know, you're a sinner, you're, you know, you're going to go to hell, blah, 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 and, and um, repent. Um, but instead, we're going and we're saying, we want to bring peace. We know what real peace looks like, and so we want to speak peace to you in whatever you're going through. And that's how we approach people. Jesus talks about uh, eating and drinking what people provide um, and eat what is set before you. Uh, <clears throat> we need to be respectful. Remember, he's sending out presumably Jewish people uh, as his disciples. And Jewish people may be entering a household where they are offered unclean food. 
Jesus doesn't say, hey, just eat everything that's kosher. He says, eat whatever they provide you. Drink whatever they provide you. It might not be what you like. It might not even be, in your mind, kosher. But be respectful of those people that you are intersecting with and that you are, that you are developing a relationship with. Be respectful of them. Christ goes on to say, heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Now, we could get into discussions about healing. We could get into discussions about whether the gifts of the Spirit are available today. I believe they are. Um, And some people disagree, and they can disagree. But um, Christ talks about healing. What I believe when he talks about peace, when he talks about healing, I believe that he is talking most importantly about uh, the, the holistic nature of salvation that comes when people know the living God. That there is a God that changes hearts and changes lives and brings peace that passes all understanding and can heal our deep, deepest hurts. And so I believe that what Christ is talking about is that we can go and we can be people who proclaim the truth of that God, the reality of that God, the fact that that kingdom is here, is at hand. Do you see that? I, I don't think we need to get into gifts of the Spirit and kind of miraculous healing um, for understanding the mission that we're called to. We need to do God stuff. We need to notice people. And when we notice people, we need to minister to people. And we need to tell them that there is a God who cares and that there is a God who has done everything necessary to allow that person to come into a relationship with God and to be changed forever. Jesus points out the reality that when we come and we proclaim the kingdom to people and when we are trying to advance the kingdom, there will be people who are not receptive. There will be people who don't believe for whatever reason. Christ doesn't say, well, stay there forever and keep working on them and someday it'll happen. What Christ says is Christ says, move on. And only at that point does Christ say, you know, you might want to get in their face a little bit and say, you know, I've been, I've been trying to tell you about the kingdom and I've been trying to tell you about a God who lives. And, and you know, what Christ says is then you move on to somebody else. And, but Christ says it's okay to, to tell somebody, you know, you're missing out. You're missing out. And, and when, I, when I read that in that passage, when Christ says, um, you know, shake the dust off your feet, um, <clears throat> and he says, you can say to them, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I, I don't think that's a prideful thing. I don't think we ever say somebody, you know what, I know the truth, and you don't, and you're blind, and <laughs> you, you're going to go to hell, and, you know, and we, we don't speak judgment. What I see here is, 
It's a word of sorrow from Christ. These people failed to understand. And, and, there's, and there's sorrow in that. I, I don't think that we as followers of Christ can really advance the kingdom until we understand the sorrow that comes when you see people who reject it. You know, Christ, when he was on the cross, the first thing he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And <clears throat> this was the single greatest instance of injustice in the history of humankind. Christ, a completely innocent person, being sacrificed on the cross, being nailed to the cross, being crucified in pain that is excruciating, that's the same word, the crux, meaning cross, pain that is excruciating, pain that comes from the cross, the most intense pain probably that has ever been known to mankind. As Christ is suffering through that, what he says is, Father, the greatest tragedy here is that there are people who do not know you. And would you please forgive them so that they can come to know you? That's a powerful thing. And we need to allow our hearts to be broken, to see the same thing that Christ does when he's hanging on the cross and he's saying there's so many people who are out of relationship with you. God, could you forgive them? Could you, could you find a way to allow them to come to know you? He is mourning the separation, the fact that all of these people who, who are sinful are separated from God and are not in relationship to them. That, to Christ, is the biggest tragedy. Not the fact that he was on the cross. Not the fact that the Father was allowing this to happen to him. Not the fact that he felt deserted at one point and the anguish, not the fact that he uh, was torn up due to his mother not having a son anymore. None of those things came, uh, became a higher priority to Christ than when he was on the cross saying, there are people who are dying. And that breaks my heart. So when we seek to advance the kingdom... We need, we need to allow ourselves to be broken the way Christ was. We need to allow ourselves to mourn and to see the tragedy that is there. I, I think there are far too many Christ followers who really like to be right. And I'm going to have great doctrine, and I'm going to be right, and I'm going to guard the truth. And, and because all Scripture is true, and it's God's word, I believe all that. But so many of us can sometimes just hide behind that, our doctrinal purity and, and the fact that we are going to uh, be in community with other believers and we are going to grow and all of these things and we are not brokenhearted over neighbors who are going to spend an eternity away from God. We're on a mission 
And that mission is to make it really hard for people from Maple Grove to go to hell. We're on a mission where we need to advance the kingdom and speak of a God who 2,000 years after Christ walked the earth is still in the business of changing hearts and lives. We're on a mission to, to spread hope that is indescribable, to spread love that we will never even fully understand ourselves, to spread grace that is scandalous, God allowed his son to die instead of us. That's a scandal. That grace is something that should shock our human sensibilities. But it's something that brings freedom and healing and brings relationship with God. And so we are called to speak the truths of that to other people. We are called to see people. We are called to enter into relationship with people. What would it look like if everyone from Mosaic understood that, that, wow, like, we're not going to be like normal Minnesotans who just, you know, drive into our garage when we get home and close the door and, and go in and do our stuff, and everything that we ever do is in the backyard, and we don't really talk to neighbors and all those kind of things. What would it look like if all of you went to National Night Out this week and met neighbors? Is that on your calendar? What an opportunity. You can go and you can actually meet other human beings that live near you, many of whom are facing a Christless eternity. <clears throat> One of the other things that really strikes me about this passage, and I purposely kind of skipped it over, um, Christ says early on, pray to, pray to God um, for more laborers, and then go on your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Yay! All right, sign me up. <clears throat> Following Christ and joining in his mission is something that is costly. This verse reminds me of another verse I got to click open. Um, <clears throat> Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> yes, I like the Bible app. Stop bugging me. Um, <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> so in Mark chapter 1, right after Jesus is baptized and then he goes out and he's tempted, Mark says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So this is the earliest form of Christ uh, proclaiming the truths of the gospel is that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is real and it is breaking into all of humanity right now. And that's the earliest form in which we see Christ preaching to people, teaching people. And it's, I don't think that it is any coincidence that Luke uses that same language, that, well, that Christ uses that same language when he is sending others. He is saying, go and proclaim the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. But back up. 
Because, let me read verse 14 again. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Stop there. After John was arrested, Jesus decided, hey, I'm going to go to Galilee. John, you can rot here in prison. You're my cousin. We hung out together. We used to, when we were like 12 and 14, we had belching contests together. And, and we grew up, and you baptized me, and you've been preaching to all kinds of people, and your reward for this is you get to sit in prison and rot, and soon you're going to have your head chopped off. I'm going to go preach the kingdom now. See ya. Really? I mean, can you bail him out, Jesus? Can you hire Johnny Cochran? Can you? Uh, nothing. Because when we follow Jesus, it costs. And sometimes it costs an awful lot. I don't think that John ever sat, he, we, we know his faith faltered when he was in prison because he sent some of his disciples to Jesus and said, John wants to know, are, are you really, are you really Messiah? And Jesus said, go tell John, what did he say? Go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk. Healing has come. The kingdom has come. Following Jesus is a radical thing. And in our society, it becomes far too tempting for us to sit back and just say, oh, we're going to go to church on Sunday, and I might be in a small group, and, you know, I'll go to the, to the you know, men's breakfast thing because they got a lot of bacon, and that's cool. And... And that becomes what faith means to us. What Christ did and what he told his disciples is that we are to move forward. We are constantly called to move forward. We are not called to live a static faith. We are not called to live a life where we are just sitting there waiting for God, to, waiting for Christ to return, waiting for us to die and go to heaven and eat shrimp cocktail all the, day, all the time. That's my cartoon bubble. Um, <clears throat> but we are called to move out and, 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 and to proclaim the kingdom as Christ brings the kingdom more and more and more. It's the difference between offense and defense. It's the difference between playing to win and not playing to lose. And there is a huge difference there. We are called to be on the move with a God who is constantly moving. I want to read something because it's, um, it captures my heart and... Um, <clears throat> And you'll see why as I read it. Um, this is, um, I don't even know who wrote this originally, but uh, um, this is called Wild West Theology. And it kind of ties into rawhide. kind of ties into that. <clears throat> there are two visions of life, two kinds of people. The first see life as a possession to be carefully guarded. They're called settlers. 
The second sea life is a wild, fantastic, explosive gift. They're called pioneers. These two types of people give rise to two kinds of theology, settler theology and pioneer theology. <clears throat> settler theology is an attempt to answer all the questions to define and to housebreak some sort of supreme being, to establish the status quo. I lost my spot. To establish the status quo on golden tablets in CinemaScope. Pioneer theology is an attempt to talk about what it means to receive the strange gift of life and how we should live. The Wild West is the setting for both of these theologies. In settler theology, the church is the courthouse. It's the center of town life. The old stone structure dominates the town square. Its windows are small, and this makes things dark inside. Within the courthouse walls, records are kept, taxes are collected, trials are held for bad guys. The courthouse is the settler's symbol of law, order, stability, and most importantly, security. The mayor's office is on the top floor. His eagle eye ferrets out the smallest details of town life. In pioneer theology, the church is the covered wagon. It's a house on wheels, always on the move. The covered wagon is where the pioneers eat, sleep, fight, love, and die. It bears the marks of life and movement. It's creaked, it creaks. It's scarred with arrows. It's bandaged with bailing wire. The covered wagon is always where the action is. It moves toward the future and doesn't bother to glorify its own roots. The old wagon isn't comfortable, but pioneers don't mind because they're more into adventure than they are to comfort. They're willing to sit in a gym without air conditioning. In settler theology, God is the mayor. He is a sight to behold. He's dressed like a dude from back east. He lounges in an overstuffed chair in his courthouse office. He keeps the blinds drawn. No one sees him or knows him directly, since there's, but since there's order in town, who can deny that he exists? <clears throat> the mayor is predictable and always on schedule. The settlers really kind of fear the mayor, but they look to him to keep things going and to clear the payroll. Peace and quiet are his main concerns. That's why he sends the sheriff to check on pioneers who ride into town. In pioneer theology, God is the trail boss. He's rough and rugged and full of life. He chews tobacco, drinks straight whiskey. This is an analogy, people, okay? So let's not get too literal about it. <clears throat> the trail boss lives and eats, sleeps, and fights with his people. Their well-being is his main concern. Without him, the wagon wouldn't move. Living as a free man would be impossible. The trail boss often gets down in the mud with the pioneers to help push the wagon, which often gets stuck. He prods the pioneers when they get soft and want to turn back. And his fist is an expression of his concern. In settler theology, Jesus is the, is the sheriff. He's the guy who's sent by the mayor to enforce the rules. He wears a white hat, drinks milk, <clears throat> outdraws the bad guys. He decides who's thrown in jail. 
There's a saying in town that goes, those in, who believe that the mayor sent the sheriff and follow the rules, they won't stay in Boot Hill when it comes their time. In pioneer theology, Jesus is, you're picking up on this now, Jesus is the scout. <clears throat> he rides out ahead to find, to find our way, to find out which way the pioneers should go. He lives all the dangers of the trail. He suffers every hardship. He's attacked by the Indians. And through his words and actions, he reveals the true intentions of the trail boss. By looking at the scout, those on the trail learn what it means to be a pioneer. In settler theology, the Holy Spirit is the saloon girl. Her job is to comfort the settlers. They come to her when they feel lonely or when life gets dull or dangerous. She sings a little song, tickles them under the chin, and makes everything okay again. The saloon girl squeals to the sheriff when someone starts disturbing the peace. In pioneer theology, the Holy Spirit is the buffalo hunter. He rides along with the covered wagon and he furnishes fresh meat for the pioneers. Without it, they die. The buffalo hunter is a strange character, kind of a wild man. The pioneer can never tell what he'll do next. Well, and he, he scares the hell out of the settlers. He's got a big black gun that goes off like a cannon. He rides into town on Sundays to shake up the settlers. You see, they, they have, uh, every Sunday morning, they have a little ice cream party in the courthouse. With his gun in hand, he sneaks up and fires a tremendous blast that rattles the whole courthouse. Men jump out of their skin, women shriek, dogs bark. Chuckling to himself, he rides back to the wagon train, shooting up the town as he goes. In settler theology, the Christian is the settler. He fears the open, unknown frontier. His concern is to stay on, the good, on good terms with the mayor and keep out of the sheriff's way. Safety first is his motto. To him, the courthouse is a symbol of security, peace, order, and happiness. He keeps his money in the bank. The banker is his best friend, and the settler never misses an ice cream party. In pioneer theology, the Christian is the pioneer. He's a person of daring. He's hungry for new life. He rides hard. He knows how to use a gun when necessary. The pioneer feels sorry for the settlers and tries to tell them of the joy and fulfillment of life on the trail. He dies with his boots on. In settler theology, the clergyman is the banker. Within his vault are locked the values of the town. He's a highly respected man. He's got a gun, but he keeps it hidden in his desk. He feels that he and the sheriff have a lot in common. After all, they both protect the bank. In pioneer theology, the clergyman is the cook. He doesn't furnish the meat, but he just dishes up what the buffalo hunter provides. That's how he supports the movement of the wagon. He never confuses his job with that of the trail boss, the scout, or the buffalo hunter. He sees himself just as another pioneer who's learned how to cook. He helps the pioneer pioneer. And it goes from there. Um, sin in settler theology is breaking one of the town's ordinances. Sin in pioneer theology is wanting to turn back. <clears throat> I love that picture because it reflects a God who is, I believe, a restless God who is always seeking to advance his kingdom who's calling us to be on the move with him.
to constantly be looking for people who are far from God, to constantly having to have our eyes open, knowing that as we go about our lives, there will be people that we meet who, are, who desperately need to know the reality of a God who lives and a God who loves. Mosaic is a church that is on the move. You can go to a dozen different churches in Maple Grove where people will not talk about the same kind of stuff that you talk about at Mosaic. I went to a church that had about 12, 1,300 people. We were there for five years. We saw one new believer get baptized in five years. At Mosaic, tonight will be the third baptism that I, that I go to and that I see here at Mosaic. And I have seen in this church of 250, 300 people, I have seen, help me, yeah, there have been 30 people baptized in two years. Where is the kingdom moving more? Kingdom is being advanced here. Why does that happen? It's because those other churches are more about defense. They don't understand the need to be on the offense. They don't understand the need to be advancing the kingdom of God. They don't understand why they ought to go to National Night Out and get to know their neighbors more. They don't understand the concept that, hey, maybe what I need to do is invite my neighbors over for dinner sometime and we can talk and get to know them better. Maybe they don't understand the need to actually invite someone to come to church and to hear more about this God. Those other churches are churches that use words like non-believer or unbeliever. Mosaic should be a place where we talk about people who don't know God. We should talk about them as pre-believers. Because if they come here long enough and they hear Eric open the word week in and week out, and they get to know people here and they find acceptance and love and care, they will become followers of Christ. If they stay here long enough, they will become followers of Christ. The people that you run into who you say, oh, they're not believers, you need to start seeing them as pre-believers and that you are called to be the instrument that advances the kingdom to those people. This place is a place on the move. I don't care if they don't have air conditioning here. I don't give a rip because I want to be with people who get it and who understand that we are like the guys driving cattle. We're missing what? We're missing good vittles, love, and kissing. And we're, you know, we're hell-bent for leather, driving through rain and nasty weather. But at some point, we understand... <clears throat> How's the song end? Um, My heart's anticipating. My true love will be waiting. Will be waiting when I come to the end of my ride. And we are riding with our true love. 
and we get to ride next to one another on this mission, and we get to advance the kingdom, and when all is said and done, we will be with our true love for eternity. In the meantime, we're on a mission from God. Following God means that we are on that mission all the time. So my, my encouragement to you, and I know this, by the way, I have been speaking to people who are followers of Christ. There might be people here who are not yet followers of Christ, who are pre-believers, and you're just kicking the tires, and you're wondering what Christianity is all about. Understand this. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, following Christ is something that, that calls us to action. It doesn't call us to always be right. It doesn't call us to, to, to judge people constantly and, and to tell people that they're going to hell. It calls us to be brokenhearted about people who are far from God. And it calls us to sacrifice what we would rather have so that others can come to know this living God who changes hearts and lives. It's the biggest deal there is in this entire world. And, and being here at Mosaic should be something that's exciting because we're on the front row. We get to see God change hearts and lives all the time here. Go to some of those other big churches and you rarely ever see it. But here, it's a weekly occurrence. So you're in the right place <laughs> if you want excitement. And we're wrapping up the series on following. Following always means that we're on the move, that we are helping advance the kingdom. Just stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, there are <clears throat> so many people around us, and Christ said that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So I ask that this week that you will give me the eyes that I need to see people who are far from you, people who are hurting, people who are hopeless, people who need to be shown mercy, people who need to know that God really is there and really cares. Give me the ability to see those people. God, and I pray that you will give all of us the ability to see those people. Allow us to partner with you in advancing your kingdom. Give us the determination to open our mouths and to speak of a God who is real, and a God who answers prayer, and a God who brings his kingdom, a God who brings peace and hope and love and mercy and grace, and most importantly, a God who brings forgiveness. Give us eyes to see. Give us a tongue that is willing to talk. And God, I thank you that you've invited us on this amazing mission that you are on. We're not worthy to do that. But in your, in the only way that, 
can be done in, in a God kind of way. You have looked at us and you have said, I want the kingdom to be advanced through you. So be with us this week and let us advance your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.